I, like I said, I'm Michelle and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is July 30th of 2007. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I uh, have a home group, it's Any Lentz. We meet Monday through Friday at 12 noon on 210 A Street. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to Miss Eileen. She was very helpful in getting this workshop uh, going. And thank you to Andre and everybody else who helped to um, set up the chairs and the tables and pick up the coffee and bananas and everything. I'm super nervous. I don't know if you can tell or not. Uh, so I just, the way that I found Father Bill, I, I like to listen to podcasts a lot. Um, and one morning I was just sitting in my uh, little area where I do my my morning readings and stuff. And I was kind of searching through podcasts and, and I came across a podcast that said Father Bill W. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so I, I, I clicked on it, and I kind of looked through, and he had a, a bunch of different podcasts, um, a whole series uh, on, on the site. And so uh, I found one that said, Oxford Group Pamphlet, uh, How to Listen to God, Two-Way Prayer. And I thought, hmm, that's, I, I had heard that before, How to Listen to God. And I think I was probably about five years sober. I had got the paper, and I stuck it on a shelf somewhere, and was going to get back to it later and never did. And uh, and so that morning I decided I think I was going to try to start doing that. And then literally two hours later when I got to my work, somebody sent me a text message of the Oxford Group pamphlet. And I was like, oh, my God, that is, I don't think that's a coincidence. So I, um, I started to do the two-way prayer, and I've been doing it since November, and it's been life-changing. And uh, I not all at once, but incrementally. And so I'm, I'm really grateful uh, that I was able to, um, well, that God led me to find the podcast and uh, that all you people came here today to listen to Father Bill W. And with that, I'll turn it over. Hi, everybody. My name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. By the grace of God, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and a very special friend I want to mention from Louisiana in a moment, uh, but I've had the gift of sobriety since December 27, 1972, and so for that I am very, very grateful. Uh, and the friend that I wanted to mention was from Louisiana. I had uh, five years uh, in Baton Rouge uh, back in the mid-70s to early 80s at the Baton Rouge General Hospital. I was chief counselor uh, over there and um, had a sponsor, uh, his name was Fletcher Johnson, passed, passed away, but uh, Fletcher taught me some really, really wonderful things. Uh, I've had some great, uh, great sponsors uh, along the way, and, and Fletcher was one of them. And his story, just, just a brief part uh, that really touched me was, um, he, he was sober 30 some odd years at that time, and uh, he had, um, had struggled coming into AA. When he came into AA the first time, he had grown up in uh, Oklahoma City, I think it was, somewhere in Oklahoma, and, um, and was raised in an orphanage. And in the name of God, in the name of God, some terrible things happened to that man. You know? And so when he came into the program and he saw the God thing, it was, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he was the first one who showed me, he said, what? but I knew I needed it. And what he did was he took the big book and everywhere it said the word God, he put another O 
into that word and made good. And so he made a decision to turn his life and his will over the care of goodness, you know? And uh, boy, try that sometime, because I think that's really what we are about here. This is not a, a magical how to tune in to God so much as it is uh, how do I tune into the goodness that's, that's already present in my life, and how do I begin to listen to that, to get, uh, to get in touch with it. I'm excited to, uh, to be here, to come back to Louisiana. It's been a while, and, uh, and I do want to thank the, uh, the committee, the uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, folks, um, Andre and um, Michelle, and of course Eileen uh, put together a wonderful event. And I hope you, I hope you really benefit from this thing. Uh, I kind of stumbled onto this information, uh, I guess about 24 years ago now, and uh, changed my life. So I, I uh, just totally changed my life. And, and my, my hope is that it may do that for, for some of you here today as well. So um, what we're going we're gonna to do very, uh, <laughs> we have three hours, so this is good. Uh, sometimes I have to pack this thing into two, and, and it's tight. Three is, is really what it kind of takes. We're going to look first at the origins of two-way prayer. Where did this thing come from? Because I don't want you to think I, I, I imported it from California. You know? <laughs> that would be a killer in Louisiana, you know? <laughs> that it really does go back to the roots of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the first part of the, of, the, of the workshop, I want to plant this thing in the roots so that you get an understanding uh, of, of our history and how this thing falls within that. And then, but it got left behind. It got left behind. And then we're going to, in the, in the second half, we're going we're gonna to look at how, uh, how to practice it. How do, you, how do you do this thing? Yes. How do, you, how do you do it? Uh, because it's simple. A lot of people struggle with prayer and meditation. You know? Um, it's, it's not easy. And, um, and this is a simple method. And Dr. Bob said, keep it simple. And so I really feel it's, it's important to, to get this information out there, uh, particularly if you're not able to get into the lotus position. You know? <laughs> I really struggle with that, so uh, you don't have to do that. You just have to sit in a chair, sit in a chair. We're going to have a practice session um, in the second part of the workshop because I think that's really important. If you don't leave here with the experience, uh, it's not going to register. So uh, we, we are going to take a five-minute, five maybe seven-minute opportunity for you to participate in the two-way prayer. And uh, be real clear when we're getting started. Uh, if you have any questions uh, uh, about it, let's let make sure everybody's on the same track. And then I want to talk about how do you use this in your recovery. Uh, and I am sad to say uh, it is kind of like a diet, and it is kind of like going to the gym. If you don't do it, it ain't going to work. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. 
but it, it does take a minimal commitment to, to practice this, ideally on a daily basis. And I'm really talking 10, 10 minutes. If you can devote 10 minutes a day uh, to this, particularly in the early morning, uh, it, it will change your life. I am absolutely, absolutely convinced of it. And then how to, how to uh, we're going to have a time for some Q&A, but I'm real interested in how, what are some techniques that we've picked up that uh, are helpful for keeping you engaged in the process? Because it's, it's, it's so easy to, to slip, you know? <clears throat> okay, so that's what we're going we're gonna to do. Um, <clears throat> just a, a quick quickie on, on my, my background. Um, please forgive me, I, I was born in New York City. <laughs> I, nothing I could do about that. Uh, came to the South as quickly as I could, you know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, took me a while to get here. Um, come from a long line of alcoholics. Every male member of my family was alcoholic. Every, did not miss one, either that or a drug addict, you know. And uh, and about half of the women were alcoholics. Uh, just enough uh, Al-Anons without program to kind of keep the system going, you know. Uh, <laughs> My mother, my mother was a tremendous enabler. I had, I had to stop taking money. When I got sober, my sponsor said, you cannot take any money from your family. Well, that was harsh, but, uh, <clears throat> but I did it. I did it, you know, uh, because I think, I mean, you got you to gotta go through stages of growing up, you know. Uh, some, somebody asked, I, I, well, I, I a psychologist uh, once uh, said, I'm really interested when I was getting into the field, Really interested about uh, learning about alcoholics and, uh, and psychologically. What 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 can you help me with that? He said, "Go get yourself any good book on child psychology, because that's really what this is about. It's about growing up, and uh, and and this is this is the stage of growing up spiritually, and." Uh, and, and what I've found is the two-way prayer thing is, is particularly effective for people who've been in the program for a while, you know, and it's lost its edge. It's lost its edge. It came to me when I was 20 years sober, and, and I'll get into that. Anyway, anyway so that's the family uh, background. Uh, some of you uh, may have learned about, about family roles, you know, that you get a, you, you're assigned a role, you're the scapegoat, you know, you're, you're the... Uh, lost child. Uh, uh, I was supposed to be the family hero. And in my family, it wasn't a hard assignment. <laughs> but the idea there was, was you look good, so we look good. You look good, so we can look good. And that was the deal. So I was always trying to look good. But then at 12, I learned how to drink, and I loved it. So how do you drink and look good? That was my struggle, and it kind of brought me to schizophrenia. I'm not going to do my story, but I, I kind of went doing good things, but drinking, and it was stretching me further and further apart, you know? These, these, two, uh, these two drives within me. So, I mean, I was in the Peace Corps, uh, worked in West Africa, you know, teaching, teaching trade school over there. Um, until I got drunk and in trouble. Uh, worked in Milwaukee with a Catholic worker uh, group up there, um, help, helping alcoholics and, and homeless families, looking good, but then getting drunk and in trouble. You know, taught high school and um, had, had a young 
14, 15 year old girl give me my first diagnosis, uh, sent me a note. You know, I, I, I'm insecure, alcoholics were all insecure, so I want, tell me how I'm doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who stopped clapping first? You know, that's that. You know, tell me how I'm doing. She wrote, wrote a note. Dear Mr. Wigmore, I think you're a very good teacher. I wish you didn't drink so much. Oh. Crumble that puppy up. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I finally was looking for a place where I could look good and drink for the rest of my life. So I decided I was going to become a Jesuit priest. It really wasn't a bad choice, you know? I'm going to have my bottle of scotch, and it's going to be good scotch, and I'm going to look like I'm doing life, but I'm not. I'm not. See? And um, I had a, when I was in the seminary, uh, I had a, a priest uh, once pulled me aside. I would always kind of line up at when they were giving out communion, and I, in my humility, I would be the last on the line to drink the cup. <laughs> the old priest calls me aside. He says, Bill, I can't help but notice that your devotion to the blood of Christ far, far exceeds your devotion to the body of Christ. Snagged, snagged. Drunken in trouble, drunken in trouble. I was, uh, I hit my bottom uh, down in Cleveland, Ohio in 72. And uh, if you're any old enough to remember, Cleveland was the place to go if you wanted to hit a bottom, you know. Was, the river was on fire. It was so polluted uh, back there. And uh, I'm drunken in trouble. I'm stealing gallons of wine. I'm bringing them back to the dorm. I'm living in the, in the graduate dorm there. And, uh, and I'm thinking, I mean, it's going to hit the fan soon because I'm doing things. You know, I'm supposed to be preparing for, to take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I had a shot at poverty. <laughs> the others were not going to, they just weren't going to hold. And I knew that. I knew that. So where do I go next? Where do I go next? Well, I had, uh, I had two things I was, I was thinking of. One was to go to Australia and just stay drunk for the rest of my life. The hell with it. I'm just going to Australia. That's it. It's over. I can't do this thing. The other was to go to India and join an ashram. Now, if that's not spiritual schizophrenia, you know, Vroom, 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 vroom. I heard a voice. This was the first time I heard what, what I will refer to in the workshop as the voice. And the voice said something to me. It wasn't an auditory hallucination, but it was as real as can possibly be. And that voice said to me these words. I've never forgotten them. I know exactly where I was when it... You know, Wilson talks about having a white light experience. This was uh, my, it wasn't white light, but it was an auditory uh, experience. And, and here, here was, were the words. It says, Bill, you are 27. If those are your choices, there's something wrong with you. 
Woo. There's something wrong with you. Now, there's a line in the literature that says, anytime we're disturbed, you know? Well, my, I had always kind of done it. It's a spiritual axiom that anytime I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with the people around me. <laughs> and so I changed the people around me. But now I couldn't change the people around me. It would do no good to change the people around me because the problem was me. You know? And this was, I've studied a lot of psychology and, and, and done a lot of therapy and stuff. This was the crack in my ego system. The self that I had put together up to this stage in my life had cracked. It cracked at that moment. And, 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 and that's a, a terribly frightening time, but it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity. So when people come in those, those doors, you know, uh, to our meeting rooms, and, uh, and they have cracked open, it's a wonderful opportunity to reach them. You know, some of the greatest wisdom in the world can come from those people, you know? Don't let them go on for 20 minutes, you know, but <laughs> they don't have that much to teach. <laughs> Some think they do. Uh, you know. But if you, if you can learn what the crack is uh, and where the, where the tears are coming from, man, you're, you're on to something. So um, that kind of got me started in the, uh, in the way to recovery I went back to, uh, I had been in treatment once before, and uh, I went to a therapist that I had worked with, and uh, he kind of laughed when I showed up, you know, tears, and you know, he's laughing. Uh, We've been expecting you, you know. And he sent me on a mission. He said, he said are you willing to go to any length to get sober? Now, if, if, if a therapist or a sponsor asks you that question, you run like hell. Because there's another part to that question that's coming, you know? Are you willing to go to any length to get sober? And I said, yes, I was. And he said, well, listen, you're 27. You're not at a, at, at a physical bottom. You can probably drink for 10 more years. But you are at a spiritual bottom, and you are at an emotional bottom. And you ain't going to make 10 years. And so what we need to do is to raise your bottom. And I really believe in, in, in this. Bottom is a movable feast. <laughs> it, it ain't how far down you've gone. It's, it's have you gone down far enough for it to register that you need more than yourself, that you need more than your own ego? You know, are you willing to learn? Are you teachable? You know, that's what bottom is. You know, and uh, I remember over in Baton Rouge, I had, I had two guys, I had a group, about eight, eight folks in the group, Two men sitting right next to one another. One was there because he had killed four people in a DWI. He was the driver, you know, killed, killed a family of four, two young kids. And uh, his lawyer said, it'd be a good idea for you to go to treatment. Sitting next to him was a guy who checked himself into treatment because he had missed his son's birthday party. He was drunk and missed his son's birthday party. He had grown up with an alcoholic father, and he swore... My drinking is never going to affect my kids. And it did. 
and that did him in. <laughs> and you know which one got sober and which one didn't. You see? So it, it isn't a matter of what, what it's done. It's a matter of how, how does it register with you. So um, anyway, I got sober. Did the, did the uh, oh, well, what the guy said to me. He said, I want you to go and live on Skid Row for one year. And I want you to look every alcoholic and addict that you meet in the eye and you say, there but for the grace of God goes I. If you can make that identification, we can spare you those 10 years. And for whatever reason, I was, uh, I was willing that day uh, to go and do it. I checked into the Salvation Army in downtown Detroit. You know, don't recommend it. You know, and, uh, <laughs> the accommodations they, the, the committee gave me last night were much nicer. Uh, and I worked spot labor jobs, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I went to AA. And I went to AA. And, uh, and I, I quite, is, is this really where I belong? You know, is this really for me? Am I really that bad? You know, see, there are voices in our heads. See, people question, God speak to me? You got a voice in your head that's an addict. Does that voice speak to you? Damn right it does. You ain't like those people. <laughs> you don't need that. You got 20 years now. A little wine ain't going to hurt you. I can even quote scripture, a little wine for stomach's sake. Right out of the Bible, Jesus. You got a critic who lives in your head? You got a critic who says terrible, terrible things to you? I did, and still do. Still do. When I was in therapy, a uh, therapist a a asked me a question. I've never forgotten. He said, Bill, what would you do to somebody who said to you the things that you say to yourself? I said, I'd kill him. He said, good morning. What the hell have you been doing with your drinking? You're killing yourself. Alcoholism is a form of suicide. I really believe that. I really believe that. You know? So, anyway. Got sober. 20 years. Working the program. Good little boy. Doing it, doing it right, studying my steps, doing, doing my things, become a therapist, uh, work with people, try to help them. 20 years sober, I'm flat and dry again. The, the juice has gone out. The energy's gone out. And, and it was then <laughs> that I hit my second bottom, all right? I, I think there's a third coming up somewhere, but it's still in the future. <laughs> I, I don't think we ever get done with this. But, but the second bottom uh, came at 20 years sober. And I just knew that another round uh, of going through the steps one more time. It was, it was, it was like a, a hamster on the wheel, you know, go around. No, it's not going to work. <clears throat> one more time of 90 meetings in 90 days was not going to do it for me. That, that the, 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 the work that had to happen was deeper than that. You know, it was deeper than that. And I'm telling you when, you, when you are ready, the universe has a way of responding. You know, it's just there. And so a series of things uh, happened to me. I'll go through them quickly. Uh, 
uh, because because they, they all within within about a, about a maybe two three month month period. Uh, first was, um, well, uh, well you, you read read that and then we can go on. <laughs> so we're going back. We're going back to see where we came from. All right, because we may have forgotten. All right. Uh, where's my thing? Dear, dear, dear. I don't have it on this slide, set of slides. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. It's called the five M's. I went out to West Texas, and, uh, and I told a guy who was, who was in AA lo longer than I was, and I said, I'm just flat. I'm going to meetings, but I'm not getting it. Uh, there's something wrong. There's, there's, there's something missing. And he said, did you ever hear the story of the five M's? The story of the five M's. Um, I said, no. He said, well, it's the story of spiritual institutions. And this, this sto story is one of the most important stories that I ever heard. So uh, bear with me. Maybe it'll help someone. Uh, he said, the five M's, it starts with the man. And the man could be, it's the story of spiritual institutions. What happens to them, all right, along the way? Starts with the man. The man could be Jesus. The man could be Buddha. The man could be Bill Wilson. That man has a spiritual experience. God touches him. He touches God. It's an encounter with the divine. All right? You want to get energy? Have an encounter with the divine. You're going to be blown away. All right? Moses on the mountaintop. Jesus... In the, in, in, in the Jordan, comes up, the sky opens up, Buddha under the tree, all right, pondering the problems of life. Bill Wilson, four times uh, detoxed in, in a year and a half and, and at, a, at a bottom. And uh, God, if there is a God, And the room, the room lights up with a great white light, and he felt the presence. So the first M is the man. Forgive me, ladies. All right, just take the M, turn it upside down. Woman. All right. This is West Texas. Okay, they're they're really. We got work to do out in West Texas. All right. So the man. Second, the second M is the message. So the man comes back with the message, and the message is, "Who are you?" Because you ain't who you thought you were. You see? You ain't who you thought you were. You're a child of God. All right? Now, that's a mind blower to the ego. The ego thinks it is God. And therefore, you are God. And that line in the big book that says, we had to stop playing God is right on the money. Because psychologically, when you get down to it, that's our problem. That is our problem. So the message, the message is who you are. And that message is transformational. It changes you. Or at least it has the potential to change you if you will pay attention to it. All right? So the, the, the message. And that message then attracts other people because they're looking for for. Hey, what happened to you? Just like Bill and Ebby, you know? He looked at Ebby and said, this is not the same Ebby. And Bill was hurting and wanted what he had. 
you see, wanted what he had. How did you get it? How did you do it? And that begins to open up that space, you see, that space inside of us that's, that's longing for God, longing. You know, just like we're craving for a drink, we're, we're longing for that, that experience to make sense of life, you know, to make sense of it. The movement, like attracts like, people start coming. How did, how did this happen to you? And so you have Jesus and the disciples. You have Buddha and his monks. You have AA and the first 100, theoretically, actually 40. But we do tend to exaggerate. You know? <laughs> we won't, I won't go there. Um, the movement, the movement, the early days. There's nothing like the early days. That's why I think going back to what was happening in the early days is so important, that perhaps there's a flame there that, that, that we need to blow on to kind of, kind of get it up again, you know, uh, because we're losing it. I think we're losing it. I was losing it. I guess I don't want to speak for myself. I was losing it. I mean, I find pockets of heat all over the country. But I also find uh, in the next phase, so the man, the message, the movement, now the fourth M is when we organize the thing. We're going to organize this thing. We're going we're, we're, we're to bring in the attorneys. All right? We're going to bring in the secretaries. We're going to organize this. All right? <clears throat> so, so, so that no one messes it up. Wilson said they collected the, the rules and regulations for, somebody, for people to come into AA. Uh, they collected them from all around the country. He said nobody could get in. Each little group had set up standards. Nobody could get in. And what's wrong with this thing? You know? But it's really about who's in charge. See? The fourth M is, is the machine. You've got to organize it. So you need a machine to organize it. So we have a, now we have the central, you know, the, the, the central committee. Some 12, AA is, is a little better than most 12 steps. You, you can have other literature. Some, some 12 step fellowships, it's only conference approved literature. It's only conference approved literature. Boy, that's going to kind of stunt your growth. You know? Try 20 years of that, you know? And you're going to be hungry for something else which is what the big book says, for God's sakes. Go out there and learn from other people. Go, go look at Dr. Bob's library and see how many books he had on spirituality. You know, He was constantly learning and, and growing and changing. So the machine, the machine. In the church, we have had the machine. Somebody gets to be the bishop with a big pointy hat you know, and a big stick, and if you get out of line... I'm going to nab you. I'm in charge. AA, we got a machine. Flash forward 200 years, we're, we're at a, a world conference. And I swear it's going to happen. You know? Somebody's going to hold up the sacred coffee pot. <laughs> that Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson drank from. 
you're new and you can't get the pro, come up and rub it. <laughs> Powers, this is where the power is. They, they, they will hold up the, the ashes of the first 100. The cigarette ashes. <laughs> Not to desecrate Lent, you know, but put them on your forehead, you know. Make a big A in your... Uh, the machine, it's the machine. It's trying to grind out the message, you see? You see, it becomes mechanical. And spirit is not mechanical. Spirit is elusive. And so, you, you want to control me? Watch me disappear. Watch me disappear. So, the fifth M is the mausoleum, the monument. Why? Because it's dead. So I ask people, have you been in a dead church? Damn right. You've been in a dead AA meeting? Yes. I have. I have. It's dead. So I think if we, if we don't go back... See, when, when an organization dies or is dying, or becoming too mechanical. See, a woman, a woman God bless her heart, she's a sweetheart, uh, she sent me uh, 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 the 12-step rosary. The 12-step, honestly, beads? Little AA thing at the bottom? We now have our rosary. It's the machine. It's the machine. Instead of you growing and you changing and you becoming everything that God wants you to be. Boom. You get in touch with that and you are on fire. See, that's the fire. That's the fire. So, uh, very shortly after that, I was uh, up in Tennessee uh, and I went to a meeting, a five o'clock meeting. And, uh, and a, a woman was there running the meeting. I got there a little early. She said, we're going to start at 5. Uh, just be quiet, huh? She's there playing solitaire. It's one of those dens of iniquity, the AA clubhouse. I was, I was warned. I had a very tough sponsor. Do not go near an AA clubhouse, you know? Dens of iniquity. It's back in the 70s, all right? So, so. Eh, there are, many of them do have those back rooms. where you know. Anyway, she's back there playing cards. And I swear to God, this is a true story. Five o'clock comes around. She keeps playing cards. And she says, hi, everybody. My name is Mary. I was an alcoholic, and I'm going to lead your meeting tonight. Thank you for opening your mouth like that. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what my mouth did. It dropped, it dropped down to here. I said, oh, my God, the machine is here. We're going to have a meeting, but we're not going to have a meeting. See? Third part of this story was, was very soon after that. I am in uh, Oklahoma City, and I meet, uh, I, go, I go to a guy's house who people say I should go see him, and he was a student of the Oxford group. He was the archivist for the state of Oklahoma, and um, AA archivist, and uh, he collected books on the Oxford group and early AA and kept the records of uh, AA in Oklahoma. And uh, I, I spent three hours with him that one night, and I left there with a stack of books on the Oxford group. 
He told me the story of the Oxford group. And what he really did was he told me the steps before there were steps. You see, before they had been organized so neatly, there was a process. And by understanding the process, uh, I was able to grasp at a different level uh, what the meaning of them was, you see? Um, um, and where am I going with that? I don't know. <laughs> 74, it's coming, baby. Uh, oh, I remember it. It, it, it. it was like a preacher sometime will say, well, if you want to understand this gospel, you have to hear it in the Greek. I don't speak any Greek, don't read Greek. But they all say that. I don't know why. Uh, You've got to get it in the original. So when I read the Oxford Group literature, I got the original. And, and, and they were right. That, 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 that if you can get away from the mechanical end of things and get down to the essence of things, then you're going to get it. You see? Then you're going to get it. So that's the reason for, for going back to things. Um, so we got we got we got to do some history, and we'll we'll go through it somewhat quickly. Starts with Roland Hazard, alcoholic from uh, Rhode Island, wealthy wealthy man. A um, been in treatment any number of times, uh, and not getting it. Family finally ships him over to Switzerland. He tried to get in to see uh, Freud because he was an egotistical alcoholic, and he wanted only the best, you know? I think Freud was doing a little cocaine at the time, so uh, not taking patients. Uh, cancel my schedule for three months, you know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, so he gets to Jung, thank God. Thank God he went to see Carl Jung, who was a believer in spirituality, who was a believer in spirituality. <clears throat> Goes to Jung stays with Jung for a while, gets his therapy, feeling good, feeling good, too good, leaves, falls on his face, goes back a second time and, and asks Jung, uh, will you help me? <clears throat> and Jung said to him, uh, my friends, I'm afraid you are hopeless. There's another handout I should have given you, but it's, I, I took every listing of the word hopeless in the big book and some other of the early literature. This is the, you know, this is, this is the message of step one. The word is not there, but this is the message, you know, that I am hopeless by myself. In and of myself, I am hopeless. That's the message. We were hopeless men and women. We had a hopeless condition. The doctor said to me, I was hopeless. Now, this is critical. This is critical because, because what, what, what recovery is about is, is, is the ego, the all-powerful godlike ego, coming up against a brick wall and being shattered. That's, that's that opportunity I was talking about earlier. Okay? That, 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 that chance for change, that chance to shift inside. We'll get into that in a second. So anyway, he goes to see, sees Jung 
Jung says, well, no, I, I can't accept you as a patient, you know. Uh, um, I tried, and I'm very good. I'm very, very good, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't good enough for you, you know. Uh, well, he says, well, what can I do? He says, well, the best, I have heard of people who change, uh, alcoholics, it's, it's, it's stories told. Um, perhaps a religious environment is the greatest uh, opportunity for this to happen. You, uh, Roland says, oh, thank God, I'm an Episcopalian. Jung says, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, are not, we are not talking about processions, you know, yeah. <laughs> which you do very well. Uh, we, we, are talki- we are talking about transformation. Or, you know, but put yourself in a religious environment and basically pray for a, a miracle. Pray for that transformation. Pray for that, that psychic change as it talks about in, in the big book. And that is what Roland did. He went and he joined the Oxford group uh, and we'll get into a little bit about who they were. And uh, so he's sent on a spiritual quest. You know, you've been sent on a spiritual quest. You know, put it in that framework. You know, that, that, that's what you've been sent on. You know, a spiritual quest, like a vision quest. You know, to transform your inner life and then your outer life. All right? So that's what he does. In the, in the handouts, you've got a, a green uh, sheet. I want you to open that. When Wilson was in the hospital, they gave him a book called Varieties of Religious Experiences. It was, it was, uh, it was uh, required reading in the Oxford group. And, and, and Wilson was, was in the Oxford group. He was about to become in the Oxford group. He had started it. And uh, so he reads, he reads this book because he's trying to understand this, the, the transformation that, that, or excuse me, not the transformation, the white light experience that he just had. Okay? So here's, here's, the, uh, here's the quote from, uh, from William James. William James... Uh, we got him here a little later. Father of American psychology, huh? Writes this book. Wilson's reading it, and it's it's a it's a series of conversion experiences, about fifty conversion experiences, and some of them are alcoholics. All right. Towards the end of the book, he's got some chapters on that. So here's here's what James writes: to be converted. Now, at, at, when I was a therapist, see, this was my job was to help you have a spiritual experience. It's my job. If you're, a, if you're a sponsor, I think that's your job. You know, ultimately, that's your job. Help this person have a spiritual experience so that their reliance is upon God and not upon you. See? All right. Here, here's, here's his definition of a, of a psychic change, a spiritual experience from James to be converted, to be regenerated, to receive grace, to experience religion, to gain an assurance, to hit bottom and start recovery, are so many phrases which denote the process, gradual or sudden, by which a self, hitherto divided, a a divided self. See? You think you're one self. You're not. You know? I'm not into multiple personality disorders, but we have many selves within ourselves. 
all right? And how do I get in touch with, with the true self, the real self? That's, that's the journey, all right? So there's this divided self. By which is self, hitherto divided, consciously wrong and inferior and unhappy, that's us, <laughs> becomes unified and consciously right, superior and happy. How? In consequence of its firmer hold upon religious realities. In consequence of a firmer hold on religious, and we might today say spiritual, because don't confuse you with doctrine and dogma. It's not about that. It's, the, it's that power, it's that 100,000 volts of electricity that God generates that I can't generate. You know? So by my relationship to that, this is where I think two-way prayer comes in. Okay. okay, big book, talks about this fourth dimension of existence. All familiar with that, right? A nice quote there. We, are, we, were, we, were, we were rocketed into a fourth dimension of experience of which we had not even dreamed. That's the process. We say it can be gradual or it can be sudden. But it is the process. And it comes through your experience. Well, you know, they changed the word uh, experience to awakening. Uh, shortly thereafter, w w Wilson, there's a lovely quote. I, should, I don't have it. Uh, but he says he wanted to change it back. Because it says experience is where it's at. You can go on awakening forever, and isn't that nice? <gasps> no, have an experience, because an experience is going to change you. But he went to AA, and he tried to get him to change it. And he said, and this is, this is a quote, basically he said, we cannot change the holy writ. <laughs> it's been, you, go away, go away. Experience. I want you to have an experience of God. You can't deny an experience. And it has to be your own experience, which you can't put into words. But you can, you can have, see? Jung was asked, do you, do you believe in God? Just believe. I know. How do you know? From experience. It's the only way you're going to know is through an experience. I stumbled upon, uh, I love this guy, Robert Johnson. I encourage you to uh, uh, get some of his books um, because he kind of takes Jung and breaks him down. But I'm interested in psychic changes. How do you, how do you bring these about? And so he, I, it's really helpful in, in understanding uh, what this, pro sometimes I think if you hear it in different language, you'll, it looks like the Greek deal, uh, you'll understand it better. So. Listen, to, this is AA. This is AA in psychological terms, spoken by a, a psychologist, all right? How do you move from this third dimension, physical existence, to this fourth dimension? How do you do that journey? <laughs> well, here's the bad news. <clears throat> Johnson writes, for most people, the transition from three-dimensional to four-dimensional consciousness is exceedingly painful. Did it hurt like hell? Good. Good. Most of the work is already done. <laughs> can you benefit from it now is the question. It's exceedingly painful. The process can be summed up in, uh, no, uh, oh yeah. 
Medieval Christianity called it the dark night of the soul. Dante called it the journey through hell. It was 40 days and 40 nights in the desert for Jesus. It was a journey into the belly of the fish for many a hero. You are on a hero's journey. Just like Homer's Odyssey. That's the journey. And if you, if you can couch it in that language, oh, damn, i got to go to another meeting again. No. 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 I've got to do whatever I've got to do to hang on to this, uh, this electrical current that's running through me. For a modern man, it is midlife crisis or worse, a nervous breakdown or still worse, physical suicide. You'd be in the rooms a while. Joe went and blew his brains out last night. He was 20 years sober. What was it that was happening in Joe that he didn't find? You know, Because it ain't just not drinking. That's a start. It's a necessary start. But if that's all you're offering, I'm sorry, I got to go elsewhere. Because I got to find what's, what's eaten away at me inside. And what that is, is a disordered connection with God. <laughs> that's what it is. Trying to be what I can never be, trying to control what I can never control. You know? Physical suicide. The process can be one sentence. I love this sentence. It is the relocating of the center of the personality, the center of the personality, from the ego to a center greater than oneself. I am not self centered, I am God centered. What would you have me do? How would you have me help? See, that's a different relationship. You understand that? It's a very different relationship. It's, it, it, it's rightly related to the world, to God, to my place in life. And that's what it's about, getting that right relationship. See? And, and, and we suffer from ego inflations or ego deflations. You have to have an ego. If you don't have an ego, you're psychotic. Uh, a lot of times we hear in AA, you know, uh, uh, ego, ego bad. No? Have an ego or you're nuts. All right? The question, the, real, the right question is, what shape is your ego in? You know? Is it there to serve? Is it rightly related to God? Or is it trying to play God? Is it manipulating God? See? And you will find it. You will find it doing that. It's either going to inflate. I'm the greatest thing on the face of the earth. I'm the worst piece of crap that ever walked uh, on, on, on the planet. And we shift. We get diagnosed bipolar frequently. Because the alcoholics are comfortable with either one. I'm wonderful. I'm nothing. Boom, boom. Catch me which day you catch me, you know. But it's going back and forth between those two instead of a human being rightly related to, to God and to others. We'll get into that. Okay. Um, so it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the relocating of the center. This superpersonal center has been variously called the self, capital S. That's, that's Jungian terminology. The Christ nature, 
See? Christ was not Jesus' last name. Hate to tell you that. You know? His mother wasn't Mary Christ and Joseph Christ, you know? He was Jesus the Christ. And that means that this man was, was so in touch with God that God could come through him, <clears throat> could, could, could flow through him with nothing to get in the way. You know, so do I have anything in the way? Am I blocked? Am I blocked? Uh, when we get to the Oxford group, uh, hopefully quickly, um, uh, Bookman, who started the Oxford group, said, I work with constipated Christians. <laughs> it's a lovely phrase, you know? <laughs> constipated Christians, see? There's no flow. <laughs> Got to get in the flow. Got to get in the flow. So it's called by these various names. Different. This relocation, listen to this one, this relocation appears to be death when viewed from the perspective of the ego. Ego looks at it and says, you do that, I'm the hole in the donut, is, is the thing that we, you know, what will become of me? Me! Me! <laughs> We're very attached to this me. Thomas Merton said something wonderful. He was asked about heaven. Hang on. He said, one thing I know about heaven, there won't be much of me there. Not sure I want to go. <laughs> I mean, the depth of this ego hold is unfreaking believable. All right. Uh, so it can be viewed as death by the ego, total disaster, and death it is. The ego loses its supremacy and goes through a short time of violent suffering. See, there's a place for suffering. Is it meaningful suffering or is it meaningless suffering? That's, that's the question. If it's meaningful suffering, it can be helpful. It can be helpful as you let go, as you let go, as you let go. More and more you let go. And, and life seems to be designed that way, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's two phases. You, you become a self. In the first half of life, you build up a self. You're, you're really wonderful. Uh, you get a, you, you get a, you know, good grades on your report card. You come home, at a boy, at a girl, way to go, star on your forehead. If you're 45 and you're still looking for that, hey, you missed it. <laughs> you missed something along the way. Yes, build up an ego. You are special. You are wonderful. You know, but so's the guy next to you. So is the guy next to you. And that's the lessons of the second half of life, where we have to let go. It ain't easy. It ain't easy. I let go of things. Let go of them. Collect them. Let them go. That's, that, that's the maturity, see? <clears throat> so back to suicide. When someone threatens suicide at this time, I caution him that he must be very careful to do it without harming his body. Can meditate on that one for a day, hey? <laughs> when I went into treatment the second time, at a really tough-ass therapist introduces himself, says, uh, "They're recording." Hi, my name is Ted. 
I'm going to be your therapist, and I'm going to kill you. His job as my therapist was to do what? To kill the self that's killing myself. See? You got, you, got, you, got, you got a true self in you, and you got a false self in you. And most of us spend most of our time in that false self. All right? Okay. It's a form of suicide. Oh, this, is, this is a real. The relocation of the center is a form of suicide, and it's best done by the ego. Well, there's a hell of a deal. We must cooperate in our own demise. You can't do it without the ego. The ego must cooperate. And we'll get to that uh, in the two-way prayer, because I think that's exactly what happens. The ego steps aside for a moment and allows God to come through. When you go to a meeting, I think that's what happens. You go to a meeting and you sit there and hopefully God comes through. And your ego, at least for an hour, is parked. Thank God, it's parked. You know? When the dark night begins to lift, one morning there is an unaccountable touch of joy in the air. This is the first contact with the four-dimensional consciousness. And one can begin to live from that source of energy. You get in touch with, with, with the, God, the God life, you know, the great reality within. And, and you're starting to come from that place. You're starting to come from that place. See? Am I making sense? Okay, yes. Uh, something of the subtle inner world becomes your center of gravity. Listen to this. Poetry, music, a new perceptiveness when you are jogging. You're in touch with that energy. You're breathing differently. The self is rightly related, and now God can come through. All right? Less worthy channels for this new energy are, and this is important, fanaticism. Religious fanaticism. We know. AA fundamentalism. Sorry, guys. Run me out of town. <laughs> But there's a danger of that. There's a danger of that. See? Dictatorial religious beliefs and ego inflations of all kinds. This is dangerous stuff I'm talking about here. Somebody said something really, I really liked it. He said, the only thing more dangerous than religion is no religion. Religion is dangerous stuff, and you can get it wrong. And when you get it wrong, look out. When you get caught in one of those five M's, you know, look out. 
And AA can be dangerous stuff, you know? We make, we make our sponsor into God. That's dangerous stuff. We turn the big book into the Bible. That's dangerous stuff. You see? We turn the Bible into God. That's dangerous stuff. It's dangerous stuff. Make no mistakes about it. You know? If the, <laughs> I love this. If the energy flows into such channels, you are quickly sent back for further boiling in the oil of transformation. <laughs> I, I imagine this pot, you know, and, and I, God puts me in it, and I boil. Had enough? Yes! Pretty good now. <laughs> Thanks, fella. I'm back in charge. Watch the ego build up again. Watch it build up again. You give me six green lights in a row. <laughs> you finally realized who's behind the wheel here. <laughs> All right. I hope that's worth it. Because I, I think it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, you know, we got away from the history. But I think it's what's underneath the history. So that's why I think it's important to go visit that stuff. All right. Why isn't this working? Okay. Back to Ebby Thatcher. Ebby Thatcher, drunk, gets, uh, gets uh, hooked up with the Oxford group. Some guys come and res rescue him, Oxford group guys. He's going, to, he's going to jail for a while. They say, hey, give him to us. Uh, they take him. Uh, Roland Hazard is part of that group. And, and he, they stick him in a mission in New York City. Uh, and he's there for 60 days. It's, it's an Oxford group kind of program. And, uh, and part of their deal was go help other people. So when it's time to go help, he figures he remembers an alcoholic friend of his, Bill Wilson. I won't go into Wilson. You know his stuff. Uh, but he's declared hopeless by the doctor. Again, key, key point. Has his white light experience. Ebby comes and carries the message to him. Uh, uh, research says it, it wasn't at his kitchen table. Wil Wilson had a way of remembering things that uh, were kind of dramatic, you know. Uh, it was actually he came to dinner, you know. Lois remembered, and Ebby tells it in his story, but uh, what are you going to do? We, we got what we got. We'll stick with the pineapple juice and the, and the thing in the kitchen. It's a lovely scene. Uh, uh, we'll skip through James. Um, so Sam Shoemaker. Shoemaker is the head of the Oxford group in the United States. He's an Episcopal priest and an author, prolific author. In, in 1933, this is not too well known, he led a group of people to Akron, Ohio. And they did... Uh, they did a, a deal in Akron where they, they uh, took over all of the uh, Protestant um, uh, pulpits in town, and many, many people came, and the Ox a team of about 60 people came, including Frank Bookman, and, uh, and they brought the message of the Oxford group. I mean, can you imagine if, uh, if we brought the message of the 12 steps, you know, and, and were really given free reign to go out there and, and talk about what this transformation is about? 
Well, that, that's basically what happened. Uh, a guy named Harvey Firestone, uh, his son Bud had gotten uh, sober in the Oxford group, and that's why he wanted to bring this team to town. Well, Dr. Bob was in the audience. See, Dr. Bob was in the Oxford group for two years prior to Wilson's coming to town. You know, but he wasn't staying sober. All right? Now, uh, so he, here's, here's, here's Shoemaker working with now Wilson in New York, and he had already indirectly touched the lives of Dr. Bob and Ann uh, out there in Akron. So these seeds, these seeds are, are being planted. Wonderful statement uh, that Wilson said, he got steps two through 11 directly from Sam Shoemaker. Where do we learn about moral inventory, amends for harm done, turning our will and our lives over to God? Where do we learn about meditation and prayer and all the rest of it? The spiritual substance of our remaining 10 steps. So that's not one and not 12, but two through 11. Came straight from Dr. Bob's and my own early association with the Oxford groups as they were then led in America by that Episcopal rector, Dr. Samuel Shoemaker. So, you want to you learn about the steps? Go back to see how they were, they were done in the original. So who's this Frank Bookman dude? Well, he's a, he's a Lutheran minister. This is back in the early 1900s, and he gets a resentment. See, we wouldn't be here today without resent, well, resentment. <laughs> so the whole thing started with, uh, I hate you, and I'm going to kill you. You know, it's good. Uh, has resentment towards the board of directors. He's running a home for, for young guys in, uh, in Philadelphia, and, um, and the board of directors come and they say, Frank, you're spending too much money feeding these guys. We want you to cut down on your food budget. Frank has an ego. Frank tells them where they can go, all right? And he quits. Then he goes over to a, a, a conference he was scheduled to attend in England, <clears throat> and he has a spiritual awakening. He says a woman gave a, gave a lecture, uh, a talk, a sermon on the power of the cross. And he said she didn't say anything new. I hadn't heard a hundred times before. But for some reason that day it got through to me. You ever had that experience? Oh, you heard it. You read, read it in the big book or someone says it. Boom, I get it. You know, I get it. Oh, I didn't get it until then. Uh -huh. uh, so he gets it. And, uh, and he sees his wrong in it. That, that these six guys on the board, he, he, he was angrier than hell towards them. But he was the seventh wrong man. Very important. What's my role in this? You see? And he goes and he writes a letter of amends to each of the six guys on the board. And as he does it, he feels that, that wall you know, opening up in his heart and the power of God able to come through. Don't you do that when you do something that's selfless? See? There was an AA meeting the other day. The guys were talking about uh, what, what are some things that you do. It's okay to talk about them now that nobody knows about. See, when nobody knows about those things and you're doing them, that's where you're meeting your ego. I want you to know. No. If, if they know, it doesn't count. See? It doesn't count. <clears throat> that's, that's when you, when you really start to meet yourself. Anyway, has this experience. Um, uh, meets a guy, meets a guy who's uh, at the conference, and he tells him what just happened. 
And the guy says, you know, I got some people I hate too. <laughs> Maybe I'll try this. And he did it. And he changed. So this thing about changing people is really what the Oxford group is about. How do we change people? You know? It's not going to be another social program. All right? It's not going to be another, it's not going to be a, that's not what's going to change. People have to change in their hearts. And they have to change one person at a time. See, if it gets too big, look out. It's going to get watered down, I, I almost promise you. We want you to come. We care about the numbers. Don't care about the numbers. Care about that one person you can change. That's what you're sent to do. Anyway, he, he, he's, he's into this surrender thing. The steps are kind of forming. He makes amends. Uh, he carries the message. And he starts an experiment. And he starts them at the universities. And, and he goes to Princeton, to Penn State, eventually over to Oxford. They're a little bit more receptive to him. And I want to ground this thing in, uh, in, in World War I. The period when, 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 when Oxford Group kind of really hit its high mark was the period between World War I and World War II. And what, what Bookman was convinced of is that if there is not a new kind of Christianity, there's going to be another war. There's going to be another war that we have to change. And the way we change is to own our own stuff. And so to go to the, you know, like the French and the Germans and, and, and to own your stuff. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you Germans did a lot to my family. And they're sitting over there. And your bombs did a lot to me. And so they get together and they share their grief. And they said, we've got to stop killing one another. We've got to find another way. What's God's will for you? What's God's will for me? You know, in this, in this. I went to one of their meetings. They still exist. They're over in Switzerland. And uh, uh, there were people from Sierra Leone. I'd been in Sierra Leone in the Peace Corps. And some tribes from Sierra Leone were coming. Why? Because they had just been through a 10-year civil war where brother killed brother. And, and, and the hate and the damage and the destruction that was done to the little kids was unbelievable. And, 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 and they got with one another and they shared their common humanity. And they apologized to one another for their part. Okay? There was a group of Indians from Canada who were there at that conference. And they said the prime minister, the prime minister of uh, Canada had, after 150, 200 years, finally apologized to the indigenous people of Canada for all of the things that, that had been done to them. And they wept. They wept. See, now there's a chance to come together. Now there's at least a chance to come together. So that was what Bookman was, was convinced of, you know? If I can change people. Well, who needed changing? Alcoholics. <laughs> Man, we needed changing. And so they came to the, uh, to the group. They joined the group. Um, but they, 
Bookman wanted to change the world. Bill Wilson only wanted to change alcoholics. See? Only wanted to change alcoholics. He'd go to an Oxford group meeting and say, got any drunks here? Those are the people I want to talk with. <clears throat> it was first known as a first century Christian fellowship. And that's what kind of got me back into the church, because I was, I was away from the church for 20 some odd years. You know? Okay, if this thing is a first century Christian fellowship, what was first century Christianity like? And I went back and I started studying scholars who, who had written about that. And it wasn't about doctrines and dogmas and who's going to hell and who's doing this, that, and the other thing. It was about, look how these people love one another. That's what it was about. Look how they take care of one another. Okay? That's what it was about. And that, had, that was what had the power to touch human souls and, and to transform. Because everybody's looking for that. We're all looking for that. Well, we need to find it. All right. <clears throat> How do you change people? Bookman was asked this, and he, and he kind of put together a, quickie, a quick cheat sheet. Gain their confidence. Gain their confidence. See? Gain their confidence. I'm not here to sell you something. I'm here, I'm here to help you find out what's in you. And, and I'm going to confess to you. I'm going to confess my own sins first. Let me tell you, let me tell you what, where I was out of whack. See, this fifth step stuff ain't just one-sided. You know? it's, it's sharing uh, your own weaknesses when you're hearing the new person share theirs. Confession. We confess to one another. <clears throat> um, conviction. You get convinced that this, this is what I need to do. Uh, conversion, the change, the change happens. This transformation happens. And then conservation, continuance is another word. You keep it going. What were, the, what were the principles of the Oxford group? Four things. Honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. That was the program. Dr. Bob said, Bob said that's what, that's what uh, they're in the sheets, don't worry about it, uh, in the handouts, the blue sheet. Uh, uh, that's what, that's, what the pro, that's what we had. We had the four absolutes. And they would practice being honest, pure, unselfish, and loving. You know, when you come in, were you those things? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's, that's the deal. If you go to Cleveland, you'll still see them, the four absolutes. You'll hear people say it's not a part of the program. But I'll tell you this, I did find this in my little research. Uh, Bill Wilson was asked, well, where'd you put the four absolutes since they're part of, a, of, of, of the Oxford Group program? Where'd you put them in your 12 steps? He said, I put them in steps six and seven. You want to know why they're the shortest things in the big book, two paragraphs? He didn't want to go into great depths in that. All right? So he wanted to kind of encapsulate that into six and seven. And I think it does it beautifully. I think it does it beautifully, you know? And is it, is it, well, you know, is progress not perfection? You go read steps six and seven in the 12 and 12, and you, you, you come away with that description. I don't think you can. It is we shoot for perfection, and we settle for progress. Now, you know what shooting for perfection and settling for progress does? It keeps you humble. I've been working, you know, the four absolutes for, for a number of years. I've never gotten through a whole day perfectly. <coughs> Have not. But that's where the work comes then. See? 
You take your inventory and, and you go after it and take it to God. Hey, screwed up again. I never had Jesus yell at me. Huh? Ever, ever. 27, 8 years doing this. Never did he yell at me. Always. Are you ready now? <laughs> did you learn something from that? Huh? All right. If you've been to Akron, you see the tombstone with Dr. Bob. And I don't know if you can see it on there, but, but right here. Honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. He got buried with them. And he said in one of his, his last major talks to AA, he said, that's all we had with the absolutes, and I still find them helpful. So you'll find people who want to push them out. They're not a part of AA. But you know what? They can be a part of your program. You know? If you want four things to kind of keep track of how you're doing. Am I, was I honest today? Was I pure? Purity of body, purity of mind, purity of the heart, purity of spirit. Was I sexual purity? You know? How are I doing with that? You know? You start getting close to people's food and their sex life. Ooh, Jesus. Uh, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. You know? Uh, AA separated uh, <clears throat> New York first because Wilson, Wilson didn't really like the Oxford group. Uh, Dr. Bob and, and the Akron people liked it a lot and were much more entrenched in it and were not anxious to leave it, but they agreed to do so. Why? A couple of reasons. One, it was viewed as uh, a Protestant organization, and the Catholic Church was getting ready to come, come down and say, no, no, no. If you're a Catholic, you cannot belong to the Oxford group. So there was that movement. So there's a good reason to, to pull away. Uh, it had gotten some very bad publicity uh, that last year um, and really never recovered uh, from that. <clears throat> and AA learned some things from that. So anyway, they, they pulled apart. But I think there were some real differences between the New York program and the AA program, and, I kinda, excuse me, and the Akron program. I put those in the, in the blue sheet. In, in, New, you know, in, in Oxford, excuse me, in, in Akron, I think it was much more spiritual. In New York, it was much more psychological and fellowship-wise. It was go to meetings, go to meetings, go to meetings. It, in, in Akron, it was clean house, trust God, you know, uh, much more spiritual. Interestingly enough, there were more recoveries in Akron than there were in New York. My God, look at the difference in population. But when they were writing the big book, most of those stories were coming from Akron. So some things were left behind uh, that needed to be left behind. Some things were uh, left behind that shouldn't have been left behind. One of those is two-way prayer. And uh, all right, give me, give me five more seconds. Ten, no, two minutes. I'll, I'll tell the truth. Things were uh, left behind that shouldn't have been left behind. One of those is two-way prayer, and uh, all right, give me, give me five more seconds, ten, no, two minutes, I'll lie, I'll tell the truth, tell the truth. <laughs> I'm interested in simplicity, all right? So in reading my Oxford group stuff and knowing the 12-step world like I do, I kind of came up with three words, and, and I see it in the literature. Nobody ever puts it exactly this way. But if you want to boil down the 12 steps into three words, you can do it. It's a, I think it's in your green, blue sheet. Uh, first, connection. We are disconnected. 
you and I, are in a, we were in a primary relationship with alcohol to the exclusion of the world, to the exclusion of God, to the exclusion of our true selves. Boom, we're locked in. So we got to connect to that power outside of ourselves. One, two, three. Dr. Bob, here's, here's, here's step two in 30 seconds. I wasted years on this thing. Years. I tried to figure out God. After all, I was starting to be a Jesuit. I thought that was our job, you know? <laughs> no. Dr. Bob used to get a guy uh, in, 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 in the hospital. He'd ask him two questions. Is it possible there could be a God? Is it possible? This is step two. It became step two. If it's possible, if you can say yes, then is it possible God could do for you what you can't do for yourself? Yes. Step two is done. Waste no more time on it. Uh, we, we, there's nothing in the Oxford Group literature that says we have to have an understanding of God. If you think you can understand God, you're very sick. <laughs> very sick. <clears throat> and dangerous. All right? If there's one change I would make, it would be God as we don't understand God. Uh, that's much closer to, to the truth. Anyway, so you connect. God help me. Then you get them down on their knees, and they would, they, and they would surrender. They would surrender. You know, in their own words. <clears throat> I, I do this with hundreds of people. I, I ask them not to do the third step surrender prayer, because I think that's part of, the, uh, part of the machine. Come from your heart. I did this with a, a, a Mexican-American guy uh, several years ago. It was beautiful. He's in tears. He said, should I should do the third step? We're down on our knees. Should I do the third step prayer? I said, no, just from your heart. He said, Jesus, I really fucked up my life. Please help me. Beautiful. Beautiful. One of the best third step prayers I've ever heard. You know? It'll never make it on a medallion, but... Uh... <laughs> All right. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Clean up your act. Correction. If you've turned your life over to God, what are the changes you need to make? So I'm not going to go through those for, for, for time's sake. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's all about correction. It's all about changing. You know? So I do the inventory. I share it with another person. They did the inventory by using the four absolutes originally. That was all. No, no three sheets and all that stuff. Where you been lying? Where you been impure? Where you been selfish? Write that. Ask God to help you. Show it to you. <clears throat> Make the amends. And this is what we're going to do in the next half of the deal is direction, 10, 11, and 12. 10, 11, and 12, that's where you live. That's where I live, you know? I, I, I tell people, I, the only steps I work today are 10, 11, and 12. Now, some people take, take exception to that. Here's, here's what I've found. There is not a principle in the first nine steps that is not present in 10, 11, and 12. But it keeps me out of that monkey wheel of, you know, the hamster wheel going round and round. 10, 11, 12. You watch in 10. You watch. One of, the, one of the pioneers said, you watch and you pray. That's from scripture. You watch and pray. Jesus would watch and pray. And what he said is, if you don't watch, step 10, you don't know what the hell to pray for. 
So you've got to watch. So part of the two-way prayer is watching yourself. And then bring in what you see to God for help. Watch, pray. Twelve is act. You get guidance, act on it. Okay? We are going to take about a maybe a 15-minute break. Let's get back at 20 minutes to 11, if we could. 20 minutes to 11. Thank you all.